So if you'd like to follow along, this will make it a little more interactive, trying to find ways to make uh, our worship services a little more interactive. So um, you can follow along or not as you feel as you feel like. All right. So um, we've begun this new uh, series of messages uh, that I'm calling Signs of Life. They are uh, based on the identifiers of congregational vitality that our district superintendent, uh, the Methodist superintendent, Carlo Rappinut, came up with these. Um, and um, I've been trying to get him to talk about them because I think they're great identifiers, they're great indicators of congregational vitality. And they are at the top of the, the little handout. Um, it says, Engage, Welcome, Disciple, Risk, Connect, and Call. Now, um, today we're going to talk about the second one, Welcome. Um, last week we talked about Engage. Next week's going to be extreme preaching, as I talked about. Um, but, and, and I like risk so much, I moved it to the fall. But we're going to then do the other three uh, as soon as um, we come back after re- extreme preaching. So uh, that's kind of where we're at, orienting ourselves in this set of six, six uh, topics that Carlo has identified. Now, last week, if you weren't here, you can listen online, of course. But briefly, what we talked about is go, or Carlo said engage. What that means is, is that our country, uh, the, the society we're part of is a mission field. Uh, maybe a hundred years ago or something, we could think that everybody around us was a Christian. Uh, but today we know uh, the, the guy next door or the, the people across the street, somebody at school, somebody at work. Uh, we all know people who are not just not good Christians. I mean, they're just not even Christians. They don't know the first thing about Christianity. So our world has become a mission field. It's not something you send somebody to another continent. We are actually all now in the position of missionaries. And so the question is, how do we do that? And what we talked about last week, uh, Jesus instructed his disciples when he sent them out as missionaries. He said to build relationships, to um, back up, please. Yeah, yeah. To bring healing and then to tell people about God. That basically you've got to get to know people. You've got to earn a right to be heard. And then when they say, well, what are you doing this for? Why, why are you doing this? You can say, here's why. Because, because I serve a God who loves you and I want to get to know all the people that God loves. So you talk to them about God as a response to having first earned the right to be heard. So that's what we talked about last week. Um, there are too many papers up here. So, um, there. I can't even find my own. All right, so um, so that's kind of where we're at today. We're we're kind of uh, moving on now from go or engage, and the the reason for this that that kind of brings us to the next topic, which is welcome, because what happens if you do step one? If you do step one, if you go out and engage with people, what's going to happen? Well, some of the time they're going to say thanks. Um, I gave at the office. Thanks. I'm not interested. Uh, no, thank you. They'll slam the door. Whatever it is they do. Um, so people will say no. And that's fine. But once in a while, once in a while, somebody's going to say, tell me more. Or they're going to say, you know, what you're saying sounds good, but what about dinosaurs? Uh, what about uh, gay marriage? What about, what about, what about, what about? They're going to they're gonna have questions. Maybe the question they're going to say is this. Maybe what they're going to say is, what you say sounds good, but I'll believe it when I see it. You know, it sounds great. You talk a good game, but is it really true? And so people may respond positively, but they're going to want to know more. And if you're like me, if you're like most people, you're going to say, I don't have an answer for your question. But Scripture tells us what to do when that happens. Scripture says you don't have to answer the question. What you can do is you can say what Jesus said. 
what Jesus' disciples said. When, when they told people the good news about Jesus, and people had questions, they said, come and see. There's a great story. Jesus does that at the beginning of John's gospel. His disciples do it later on at the, still at the beginning. And then in chapter four, Jesus talks to a woman who is a member of a despised ethnic group. Everybody can't stand them. And on top of that, even within her ethnic group, she's a social outcast. No one can stand her, even from her own community. But Jesus befriends her and she goes back to her village and she says, I think I may have found the Messiah. And the people in her village go, what about, what about, what about, what about? And she says, just come and see. Just check him out for yourself and decide for yourself. So that's what Scripture commands us to do. That's the model we have in Scripture. What do you do once you've engaged? You invite them to come and see for themselves, to find out. Maybe they bump into Jesus, maybe they won't. It's up to God at that point. But there's a problem. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to fill that in. So the first one is invite them. Invite them to church. Invite them to one of our gatherings. So so then what? Invite them to one of our gatherings. But the problem that that presents is that you have been in relationship with this person maybe for, for six days, maybe for six months, maybe for 16 years, and you wished that they could come into a relationship with Jesus. You've prayed for it. And then finally something happened. Something clicked. You don't know what it is. But for some reason, this time they said yes. They said, sure, I'll go to church. Now you go, oh my goodness, they're coming to my church. And you're thinking, oh, but what what if church doesn't work for them? What if it doesn't, what if I've oversold church? What happens if they come to church and it's too weird? That people talk in Christianese and they, they use language they don't understand. What if, this is actually a problem you get in some, some, some churches. I, I was in a church that was one of them. My executive presbyter came up with this word. It was vampire Christians. Where, where they're so welcoming, they show you very quickly that all they really want is another body. They want some new blood. And so, so what if they're that kind of church? What if my church is so welcoming that they really kind of, they, they kind of unnerving, right? So, so what if my church acts weird? What if my church is not really ready for my guests? What if my guest shows up and they are a little bit out there? What if they don't look like everybody else? What if they're a little bit weird? You know, they're important to me, but what about my church? I've invited them to my church. Now what? What do I do? The problem is, and this is the, the fill in the blank, you love your friends more than other Christians do, right? It's not that other Christians are bad Christians. It's just they don't know your friends. They're, you know, abstractions. I mean, I love them in the abstract. I just don't love them personally. I don't love them the way you do. You love your friends more than I do. You love your friends more than anybody else at church does. And the same is true for our friends and you. You don't love them the way we do because they're our friends. So the problem is you're motivated for everything to be just perfect. You want the church to get it right. It has to be absolutely perfect. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And you're depending on the church to come through. And we're happy to help, but not really. You know, I mean, sure, fine. I mean, I, I hope your friend has a good visit here, but he's not my friend. He's your friend. So 
What do you do? This is the, this is the conundrum that we face as Christians. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us to come and see, but, but what if the church doesn't carry out its part of the bargain? What if, what if the church doesn't come through when we need them to? Well, the good news is we have an ally. We have a celestial ally because nobody else in the church may love your friends as much as you do. But God does. God loves them more than you do. So you have an ally and God has told the church, you don't have to love them. You just have to welcome them. You just have to welcome them because I love them. So God commands his people to welcome his strangers, to welcome strangers. But he goes beyond that. He actually commands his people to love them. Many of you know this verse. Uh, Jesus says it's half of the law. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. It's from Leviticus. And I know some of you read Leviticus whenever you're sleepy and sleep won't come. So we kind of wade through Leviticus. But there are scattered throughout Leviticus little things like this that Jesus says is equivalent to half of the Old Testament, that one verse. So he says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But just a few verses later it says this. It says you shall treat the stranger the stranger who sojourns among you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God commands his people not simply to be kind of, sure, they can come, I don't mind, but to love the stranger. God says to love the stranger. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus, as he typically does, he takes it to a whole new level. What Jesus does is he takes... The command from God in the Old Testament says, oh, no, no, it's much more than that. Jesus says this. He says, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. He says, Lord, when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? When did we see you as a stranger and not welcome you? Jesus says, whenever you did it or failed to do it for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Jesus says, you're not just welcoming a stranger, you're actually welcoming God. So, that's the kind of ally we have when it's our friend, and that's the kind of responsibility we have when it's somebody else's friend. So, um, have I got all the blanks filled in? All right, so, what does that mean? What does that mean? Um, well, we don't have to speculate what it means to welcome God because we can see some actual examples in the scriptures. So what I want to do is I want to look at the example from Abraham, the story of Abraham in Genesis. Abraham is one of the um, the Old Testament patriarchs. He's kind of the ancestor of everybody who's been in a relationship with the God of the Bible. Um, uh, Christians, Jews, and even Muslims claim a, a kinship with Abraham. So it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. How Abraham knew it was God, I don't know, but somehow he did. And he hops up when he sees the three men standing near him, and he ran from the tent entrance to meet them. And he bowed down to the ground. He didn't simply bow, he bowed down to the ground. He prostrated himself. And he said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. You've been walking around in the desert. Let's get your feet washed. Okay, and then rest yourself under the tree. It's the heat of the day. Enjoy some shade. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. He says, let me refresh you. Let me host you here for a minute. And they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened in his uh, to, to the tent where Sarah's been. And he says, 
He says, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour. And you see a little footnote there. It says, sias. How much is a sia? A sia is seven quarts of flour. So basically, a great big basket, 21 quarts worth of flour. Not just kind of a coarse meal, but the choice fine flour. He says, make cakes out of 21 quarts of of flour. So he says, we're going to lay on a big spread. We're going to, we're going to uh, send these people down the road with more food than they'll need for a week, right? So he says, make them lots of food. And then he runs off to the herd. He takes a calf, tender and good, gives it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. So he's bringing out the fatted calf and he says, he says, um, he, he goes over and gets curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he sets it before them. And then he stood by them under the tree while they eat. He waits on them while they eat. So Abraham illustrates hospitality when you know it's God. Maybe some of this is just good old Middle Eastern hospitality. I don't know. I'm not from the Middle East. Um, but he certainly illustrates what it looks like when you know God has come to visit. So that's the illustration we have from the Old Testament. But the New Testament gives us a different story. In the New Testament, we see Jesus is invited to dinner. Jesus is not crashing the party. Jesus is invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee. And he's there, and they're, they're sitting at the table. And the way that they would do it in those days is there'd be a low table, and people would arrange themselves kind of in a U around the table. And uh, they'd lean on their left elbow, and they'd eat with their right, their right hand. They'd eat with their right hand, and they'd put their feet outward so you could get more people around the table. So that was the way that people ate in that culture. And so Jesus' feet are back, back there behind him, and this woman comes in, and she starts crying and then washing her, washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair and kissing his feet. And the Pharisee says, well, I guess this guy's not a prophet because if he was a prophet, he would know she's tainted goods. She's a sinner. She shouldn't be touching him if he's a prophet. And Jesus I love this. He's saying, if he was a prophet, in his head. And Jesus answers him. I, I, I love that. So it says, it says, Jesus um, spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. And then he tells this story about two people who owe debts. One a big debt, one a small debt. They're both canceled. Which one loves him more? He says, the one who had more debt forgiven. And he says, you guessed rightly. Now, Look here, Simon. You see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, the Middle Eastern kiss of greeting. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. He says, Simon, you're giving every sign of somebody who doesn't love me. She's giving me every sign of somebody who does. Because she knows she's been forgiven. But you're acting like somebody who doesn't love me. Jesus says, I noticed these things. I didn't comment earlier when you gave me the cold shoulder as I arrived at your house. But I noticed. Jesus says he notices the way we treat 
visitors, the way we treat guests. So what should we do? What should we do? Well, since it might be Jesus, it's not possible to overdo it. Right? We should err on the side of Abraham or the woman, not in the direction of Simon. That since it's Jesus, he has told us when we do it for anybody, it's like we're doing it for him. Since it's Jesus, we should overdo it. It's impossible to overdo it. So, I wish I knew what the next slide was. <laughs> so, the solution, what are we looking for? We're looking for lavish, extravagant hospitality. We want to be like Abraham. We want to be like this sinful woman. We don't want to be like Simon. So how do we do that? Well, the first step is plain old hospitality. So what do I mean by plain old hospitality? Well, I mean this. I mean it's not your spot. The reason I made your move is because every pastor I've ever talked to has got a story about the time somebody came to church and they came in, they sat down, and then somebody else showed up and said, you're in my spot. I have never met a pastor who doesn't have that story. I've seen it here. I've seen it at the previous church I served. It's Sometimes people say it with a grin. You know, they think that they're being kind of off, offsetting or something, but they don't have a clue the way people feel when they're in an awkward spot. You're in an awkward spot right now. You're not in the seat you like. Now, what if somebody showed up right now and said, oh, wait, you're in my spot? Well, the truth is they're not in your spot. You're in Jesus' spot, but he's okay. He doesn't have secret service out there who's going to push you away and say, don't come in today. Jesus is here. Jesus gets here early ahead of you, takes your spot. It's his spot, but he's okay with you coming in and sitting next to him. That's the way we should view our church seats. That's just plain old hospitality. Craig Groeschel, one of the many pastors who've had this, I think pretty much every pastor has seen this. Um, Craig Groeschel tells a story about a woman, I found it, a woman named Fern at his church who did that exact same thing. He had invited somebody to come to church and Fern said, you're in my spot. And Craig said, you know, I'm the pastor. You know, I had, I worked hard. You know how hard it is to invite somebody? Come listen to me talk, right? So he actually invited somebody to come to church and the person came and Fern made the person feel awkward. The person was hurt, left and didn't come back. So he said, Fern, is there anybody you wish would meet Jesus? She goes, oh, my grandson, he's running wild. I wish, I wish he knew Jesus. And he goes, well, imagine if your grandson had come to church and somebody had done what you did. And Fern was transformed. He said from that day forward, Fern got to church early and she stood behind every every chair in the church and prayed for the person who would sit in it. Because she realized it wasn't her seat. So that's hospitality. And hospitality takes preparation. Andy Stanley says, if you invite somebody over to your house and you say, just just drop in, and they arrive and you've got the place is a mess and there's socks on the coffee table. They know you really weren't expecting them to drop in. They know you weren't ready. So when they do show up, you have to be like Abraham. You have to run around. You have to scurry around like crazy. You know, quick, quick, cook 21 quarts worth of flour worth of bread. So, so 
um, you have to run around like crazy or else you've just got to basically say, sorry, we're a mess. Um, we weren't prepared for you. So to be hospitable requires preparation. So we have to be hospitable. We have to realize it's not our place. It's not our spot. It's Jesus' spot. But we still haven't talked about lavish and extravagant. How do we do lavish and extravagant? Well, I want to give you an example. So let me tell you a story. Last week, last week I showed you a picture of this guy. His name is Father Michael White. So um, can you show the picture? So Father Michael White is one of the people who was at the conference uh, last week. And I've got a picture of him coming up soon. <laughs> so... Um, so he's on the stage here with um, Rick Warren and Satish Gamar. So Father Michael White is from the Roman Catholic Church of the Nativity in Baltimore, Maryland. Rick Warren, you may have heard of Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church before that, um, and Big Church you might have heard of in Southern California. Um, and then Satish Gamar is from a really big church in India you probably haven't heard of called Calvary Temple. So Father Michael White, was induced by his youth director. He says, oh, you got to go out to California. you got to see this thing. This guy in California is doing this thing. A dozen years ago, he was invited by his youth director to come to California and see the Purpose Driven Church Conference. And he's thinking, what have they got to tell me? I'm a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, this is the, you know, Six Flags Over Jesus. It's um, it's a Baptist church in, in Southern California. What does that have to do with Maryland? What does that have to do with Baltimore? What does it have to do with Catholicism? He says, why am I even going here? But he was persuaded, so he goes. So he goes to the church, and I want to just kind of walk you through what his experience was, because he tells a story about what his experience was. This is the parking lot of um, Saddleback Church, or it's, there's actually another one we're standing over right here. Um, so uh, Google Earth lets you m- move around. There's one we're kind of hovering over right now, the overflow parking lot. That's the big, uh, the, the major parking lot, and that's for... Um, that's because Southern California, they love their cars. A lot of people come there with cars. So uh, he, he pulls into that parking lot, and he's thinking, I'm going to go to that building right there because it's three stories tall. It's surrounded by trees. It's a beautiful, gorgeous building. He's thinking that's the church building. But then he gets up close, and he sees this sign. Now, you can't see that, but maybe in the next picture you can. What it says is families with young children because that's the nursery. Okay, this three-story gigantic complex is the nursery. It's this huge building. And they've got, it's got its own parking lot in, inward that you can't park in because that's just for kids, parents of uh, zero to three. So, uh, so he turns right and he starts heading this way. So now he's heading, heading right, um, down that street between the two parking lots. And the first thing he comes to is at the end of the parking lot by that tree. So right there. And what does he see? He sees a restroom. Because it's a big parking lot, and by the time you get there, you may need to use the bathroom. So the first thing you encounter, if you're a normal visitor to Saddleback, is a bathroom. Okay, with a nice, easily read sign next to it that says, here's the bathroom. So I don't know if he went to the bathroom or not. He didn't tell that part. But then he goes on further. So he keeps going past that tree. And in the next picture, we see the next thing he encounters. Right there is an information booth. And so another picture of it. So... Um, there's a map and there's little brochures. So a lot of information kind of, and he finally figures out where the church is. <laughs> so, okay, the map, the map illustrates it's yonder. So he looks way down on the far side of that parking lot. There's a long, uh, concrete path and at the top of the path are some stairs and then up on the hill is the worship center. 
So he's headed toward the little circle there. So I did the same thing. I got up to the top of the stairs. Then because I was kind of shooting into the sun, I turned around and took a picture backwards. So the next picture is what I saw at the top of the stairs. So another, uh, one more. Um, so that's, that's the view I got. And I'm going to zoom in on, on it so you can see what I saw. Now down here in the corner, um, there's a woman. So a woman here and uh, next picture. So there's a woman and two signs. And the reason for that is because there's greeters all over this campus. In fact, the next picture shows you another one. Um, up, the, up at the far end or the, the close end as you're coming there, there's a, there's a gap. So one more picture. These two guys are there. You basically can't get to this campus without being accosted by signs and greeters. And partly it's because it's just a huge campus, right? You, you know, just finding the right building is a challenge. But there are people all over. He said he was greeted by six or eight people on his way in from the parking lot, plus all the signs. So he turns around. He's still at the top of the stairs. He turns around and heads into the worship center. So next picture, he's headed in there. So he goes in the front door of the worship center. And again, more people greet him. They hand him his papers or whatever it is. And he said, I was so amazed by this experience that I walked out the side door and went back and did it again. Because he'd never been to a church that took welcoming visitors that seriously. He had a wow experience. He experienced lavish hospitality. He wasn't nearly as impressed with the buildings as he was with the welcome. And I was too. I took pictures all along the way. At lunch I took another picture. They had mariachi band. So that maybe is one step too far. Maybe maybe you can't actually go too far in terms of your welcome. <laughs> but but short of that, I think you probably probably pretty much can't go too far. So what's my point? Um, my point is, oh, I didn't fill in these blanks. So if you expect someone to visit you, you will be prepared for them, unlike Abraham. And then to get warmth, if what you're really trying to communicate to somebody is you wanted them to come here today, you were hoping they would come. Or really, you weren't, but the person you sit next to was desperate for them to come. If you want to communicate warmth, the way you do that is you aim for wow. Because then you know you'll hit warmth along the way. So to get warmth, aim for wow. So I'm walking all over this campus, and I'm seeing things. I want to show you one more picture, because when you're a stranger somewhere, it it helps you see things you wouldn't see otherwise. Andy Stanley says this. He says, it's amazing what church people put up with. They neglect, they refuse to spend money on, they acquire a taste for or flat out ignore. And the reason is because we're church people. We just don't see it. We know where we're going to sit. Well, you did until I messed that up. But mostly you know where you're going to sit. You know which building to come to. You know where the restrooms are. You don't have to see because you know we walk by faith, not by sight. But non-church people, the person you were praying would come to church, the person you long to have an encounter with Jesus, they don't know which building to come to. And so when you visit another church, it gives you fresh eyes. Maybe some of you saw the article by Chris Thompson in the paper. He was encouraging people to do this. He says, go see another church. I release you. 
Go to a different church next week, um, unless you want to do extreme preaching. But go to a different church. Go look at another church. Just kind of see how they do it and come back and say, huh, I think we do it better. Or say, huh, I think we should change that. And I want to give you one example. So this picture is, uh, uh, so back up to the parking lot, that's that building, the, the fake-out building that's really the kids' ministry building. So um, so uh, down at the bottom, I stood where that tree is right there, and I took the picture we've been looking at. It's on our bulletin and so forth. So I took this picture because something jumped out at me when I saw this gigantic Six Flags Over Jesus building. And it's this next picture. Let me show you. Okay, you see what I see? I see a sign. Let's look at that sign up close. What does it say? It says Children's Ministry Center. And then it talks about a third building we don't have. But then it talks about the worship center. We have two of those same buildings at our church. But we don't have a sign. So if you're showing up, you don't know which building to come into. Sometimes we have a greeter out there. Sometimes we don't. But I'll tell you what, it's a good thing we don't have a sign. Because if we had a sign, it would say CE Building and Sanctuary. And if you're a visitor, you don't know what either one of those is. Because we're not speaking your language. This sign says Children's Ministry Center. If you've got kids in your hand, you probably know that's where I should go. And Worship Center, that sounds like where I'm supposed to go otherwise. They've got a sign that helps people orient themselves. I didn't think about that. I've thought about it before, but it just kind of jumped out at me as I was looking at that sign. And I took a picture of it because... I had fresh eyes. Looking at the way they did it somewhere else made me think, you know, we don't have that sign and we don't have that greeter. Someone showing up at our building doesn't know which of the two buildings to go to. So strangers, whether you're the stranger or whether they're coming and visiting with you, strangers bring the gift of fresh eyes. And the sermon, as Father Michael White found out, begins in the parking lot. Jesus tells us that when we welcome strangers, we're welcoming him. And Abraham shows us the way we're supposed to welcome God. The woman, the sinful woman, shows we should treat Jesus like we love him. How do we do that? And, you know, Jesus is kind of abstract. But what if it was your son? What if it was your daughter? What if it was your coworker? How would you want them to be welcomed? Do you want them to feel like they were fine, they were okay with me? Or do you want them to feel, wow, I walked out the door and went back in again because it was so amazing? Jesus says this stuff matters. He says he pays attention. He takes note of every detail. So let's be a welcoming church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Jesus who calls us to remember it's not our church, it's not our spot. But we have a role. We have the opportunity to welcome people on your behalf. And when we do, you'll welcome them. You will treat it as if we were welcoming you. So help us to be lavish. Help us to be extravagant. Help us to outdo ourselves with hospitality. We pray it in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.